Yo, what is up, everybody? It is your boy, Chris, and we are back again with the 23rd rendition of none other than Chris's Big Baller Review. And like I say, I'm going to say every single podcast until problems are resolved. Black lives matter and all lives can't matter until blacks are included. Yes, sir. Always need to remember that. But I got some good topics for y'all boys and girls today. Can't forget about my girl supporters. I know I got a few of y'all out there. Hopefully. Maybe not. But hopefully. Um, <laughs> I got a former player interested. Two former players that were a part of an organization. That organization is interested in giving them an assistant GM job. We also got the NBA planning to start the first round of the playoffs on a particular date that we'll get to in just a moment. Um, a player that plays for the Spurs is out for the season, and he won't be a part of their um, little eight-game seating thing of Majigga Bob, the eight-team play-in tournament. There we go. I said thinking Majigga Bob was playing tournament. Um we got the Knicks trying to figure out um, how they're going to organize off-season workouts. Um, we got um, actually an article where the Warriors have projected if they were to get the first pick, who they would take. Um, so I got really, I was really astounded by that. But we're gonna see what it what uh, what was said about that. Um, the Bulls. And they have a front runner now for the head coach job because I think they're finna get rid of Jim Boylan. Thank the Lord. He was who's horrible. Um We got an article saying that the draft workouts were unlikely. Well doubt that they're going to be unlikely because of COVID nineteen. Um we're gonna be talking about the next five prospects on my board. And this uh podcast, I don't have a person I can interview because the NBA player that I tried to interview did not get back to me. But hopefully we can get him next podcast. Um, hopefully we can get him next podcast. Alrighty. But our first topic of the day, we have the Pistons um, are interested in Chauncey Billups and Tayshaun Prince for the assistant GM job of the Detroit Pistons. Um you know, they just, they don't have a general manager anymore, nor do they have a uh, an assistant general manager. Um, so they will, like like I said, they're, they're looking for a general manager right now, but they're going to find that assistant general manager after they hire that general manager. Tayshaun Prince and Chauncey Billups, like I said, are two former players of the Pistons, um, and that they would have interest in hiring for an assistant general manager position. Um Tayshawn Prince is currently vice president of basketball affairs for the Memphis Grizzlies. Billups has expressed that he would only be interested in being hired as a general manager. Um, the Pistons would prefer to hire Billups as an assistant GM because he has no previous NBA executive experience. Billups turned down a opportunity to run the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2017 to remain in podcasting. Um... He did. Uh, I actually heard about that back in 2017 where he actually turned down the opportunity to be an assistant GM for the the Cleveland Cavs all because I don't think I didn't, I didn't think that's what he wanted. I don't think Billups will want this job. Like I said, he wants to be the GM. Um 
and I can understand why they wouldn't want to hire him, you know, as they're 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 all like they're full in GM, they're they're GM of the team because you got to realize you got to have some type of experience in this league to know what you're doing. You know, you have play, you know what what needs to be put together. Like what players need to be with what players so the team can bond correctly. You know, you got this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, and they all need to play a certain role to, you know, be successful. And, you know, understand Chauncey knows that 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 standpoint of the game, but you got to realize a GM is way more than just putting putting the right players on the court. It's, you know, money situations. It's about a whole bunch of other things that connect to being a GM. So it's not as – I don't – I think he's trying to take it as if, you know – it's it's easier than it is, and it really isn't. But if anything, um, I'm guaranteeing you, Tayshawn Prince is probably going to take that job, no doubt. Um, but the NBA plans to start the first round of the playoffs on August 18th during a conference call um, between the NBPA and the NBA. The anticipated start dates of um the various rounds of the playoffs were revealed so we actually have actual dates for when things are going to start not you know like a week setting kind of like august 7th to august 18th this 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 we actually got actual dates on when things will start um we have august 16th through 17th um with the play-in tournament so that's good um august 18th the first rounds of the playoffs start cannot wait um, September 1st, second round of the playoffs start. September 15th, conference final start. And September 30th, finals start. I'm even going to copy and paste this on my computer and, you know, kind of make sure that I write these dates down because I do not want to forget. Um, it was previously revealed that the regular season will resume on July 31st and the finals. Um will conclude by October 12th. So basically what they did, I think they've actually moved things up. Um, I'm kind of confused because they were giving us all these different days saying that it was going to be July 31st and it's actually August 16th now. So I'm, I'm actually heavily confused now. But, you know, nonetheless... We can wait another month or two for basketball, but when it comes, just know ratings are going to skyrocket. We all miss basketball. I mean, I'm, I miss it heavily. Um, you know, it hurts to even talk about basketball not seeing it be played, so. It'd be like that. But our next topic is LaMarcus Aldridge is out for the season with shoulder surgery um i think the spurs are a part of the playing tournament um he announced i mean the san antonio spurs announced that lamarcus Aldridge underwent successful surgery on his right shoulder on april 24th so it's actually um it's been a while um aldridge had arthroscopic subacromial decompression and rotator cuff debridement on his right shoulder. He injured his shoulder February 21st. He returned from the injury on March 10th. And the season was suspended on the next day. 
Aldridge is expected to be cleared for all basketball activities prior to training camps to start the 20-21 season. Um, That's going to be a real big hit for the Spurs um, coming into the play-in tournament because, you know, are they a part of the play-in tournament? I think they are. I really think they are. I remember talking about it. Let's see. I don't think that they might be or they might not be. I'm act, I'm actually really confused right now. Because if, if if that's the case, then the Spurs are really going to take a huge hit from this. If not, then you know it was actually a really good decision for Lamarcus to get. It. it was it was a good decision for him to you know get the surgery anyway because because you know you got to realize he's getting older. He's got to make sure that his body is you know perfectly fine, um, making sure that. You know, he's perfectly fine for the next season. Um, I think the Spurs are a part of it. The Spurs are a part of the play-in tournament. So that is going to be a huge hit for them, knowing that LaMarcus Aldridge is one of the players that they look to for offensive um, for offensive purpose. He's not the best on the defensive end. Nonetheless, he can still get blocks every now and then, but that's going to be a huge hit for them. Um, they're probably going to be starting Yaka Pertle. Or somebody of that sort, um, Drew Eubank, something like that. I don't know. I'm not a real big Spurs fan, but, um, you know, it's not really good on the Spurs and knowing that LaMarcus was one of the guys that they looked to for scoring um, and a little bit of defense. Um, looks like DeMar is going to have to clutch up and he's going to have to find a way to step in and make plays and to be a part of the offense and lead this team if they want to make it to the playoffs. So, really looking forward to seeing what the Spurs are going to do without LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, yeah, DeMar DeRozan is really going to have to step up and be the star that um, this team wants him to be. Um, the Knicks are looking to organize off-season workouts and want the 20-21 to 21 season to start on December 1st. The New York Knicks are one of the several teams looking for guidance and structure to begin their all-season workouts in light of not receiving an invite to Orlando. Um, one of the league officials uh, told the Post that the eight teams who are not playing need parameters and guidelines for all-season work. The hope is to get clarity at some point soon, though, so these teams can start organizing and planning their all-seasons. Um... While the Knicks waiting for the league to review several options, the league's main concerns is focused on managing their bubble environment in Orlando. Um, understandable because they need to be worried more about the finals than the draft right now. ESPN reported that the teams not invited to Orlando are looking to set up their own summer leagues, training camps, and scrimmages. So that's going to be pretty cool to see. Um... The Knicks are also in support of starting the next season on December 1st. 
the league is eager to get back to play as soon as possible. As a December first start, I mean, they'll have to with that it would have been nine months since they last played a regular season game. Um. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing you know how how the off season is going to pan out for these eight teams that aren't going to be a part of you know the playoffs. You know the Warriors, the Knicks, the Timberwolves, the uh, think of the other teams that aren't making it. The, I'm really not even sure. But, yeah, all these teams that, you know, that aren't making the playoffs are going to have to find some way to, you know, start. Basically, I wouldn't say from from scratch, but, you know, they're going to have to find some way to make something happen. They have to get their, their off-season workouts ready. They have to, to plan on... Figuring out how to re-sign the guys out of free agents, uh, free agents this all season. So you know, it's it, there's a lot more going into it for these people that aren't make, for these teams that aren't making the playoffs. Um, you know, nonetheless, you know the teams that are making the playoffs kind of don't have to worry about it because they're already contenders. So. I think it is the Charlotte Hornets, the Washington Wizards, um, the Chicago Bulls, the New York Knicks, the Detroit Pistons, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the East. And then on the uh, the West side, I think um, there's possibility that the Suns aren't a part of it, the Timberwolves aren't a part of it, and the Warriors are definitely not a part of it with a 15 and 50 record. Um but you know, I'm wondering how, how that's going to pan out for, you know, for those teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. I like the fact that they're doing summer leagues, training camps and scrimmages nonetheless with them not being able to be invited to Orlando. Um possibly like a few players coming in there to do some workouts or something with their masks masks on. I don't know why I say masks like that. It, it just sounds crazy. But that's just how I talk, so I'm gonna deal with it like that. Um But we have finally got a report from the Warriors on who they would most likely take if they were to get the first pick in the NBA draft this upcoming offseason. Um, the Golden State Warriors are likely to take Anthony Edwards if they get the first pick in the 2020 NBA draft and do not trade it. It's not out of the picture yet if we will trade the pick or not. Um, and that's according to Connor Letourna, I guess that's how you say it, of the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, the Warriors have other players on the board, including Tyrese Halliburton. If you know, you know. <laughs> Isaac Okoro, who I would not be mad if we pick, or Danny Abdesia. He's a raw prospect. I'm not sure if we should take him. If we land picks, in, uh, if we land in between picks of two through two through five, I think we I think we should have Lamelo on our board, man. You know why? Why do we have Tyrese Halliburton rated above Lamelo Ball and Killian Hayes? I don't know. 
know. I'd much rather have Killian Hayes than to have Tyrese Halliburton. You know, LaMelo Ball would be a good little asset for the team. Um, sources have indicated that the Chronicle, to the Chronicle, that if the Warriors land the number one pick and decide not to trade down, they will take the Georgia guard Anthony Edwards. If Golden State lands anywhere between two and five, it'll strongly consider Iowa State's Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, um, Auburn's Isaac Okoro, and Denny Avdija from Israel, amongst others. Um, you know, regardless, I, if anything, I think in in legitimacy, I think we should trade the pick. Um, you know, I like the core that we have right now. If anything, we need to sign. If anything, I would like James Wiseman. I would really like James Wiseman. We need a center. You know, I have all faith in in Marquise Chris. You know sprouting into the player he should be with us as he is and as he was during the regular season, you know, kind of coming out of his shell and being a big part of for us in, in some wins that we got. I like what he brings to the court, but, you know, having that young raw talent in, in James Wiseman to be a part of the team and, you know, you know these vets kind of teaching the kid how to run the ropes. It would actually be a really cool, a really fun, uh, really fun team to watch with Wiseman on the court with with Curry, uh, with Curry Green and Thompson. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what we do with that, with that, with that first pick. You know, we could, we could trade it and get a major asset, maybe a good center from a team who's likely rebuilding or you know selling or buying. You know, I kind of took that from King of the Fourth Quarter, as some teams kind of you know on the team intel screen. You know, they're looking to. They're looking to buy. They're looking to rebuild. They're selling. And that's a majority of the time. If you see that on the screen, you try and trade for that better guy on their team because they're looking for, you know, picks and stuff. But for the Bulls, um, you know, I've been hearing a lot of different names being the front runner of the Bulls head coaching job. Um... But Ime Udoka um, is and has emerged as the front runner for the Chicago Bulls head coaching job. Um, and this was sourced by Joe Cali of the Chicago Sun-Times, who has um, sourced a few of the articles that I have used for the podcast as of late. So, you know, this isn't fake. This is actually true. And if you don't know... Ime Udoka is actually the current assistant coach for the 76ers, who aren't that crazy of a team this year. But it it, it getting any coach, to be honest with you, is a step up from 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 Jim Boylan. Jim Boylan is possibly, I don't want to say this, but possibly the worst coach in NBA history. Um, Igor Kakasov, he's actually a really bad coach too. Um, but nonetheless, hey. Um, I also heard that the Raptors assistant coach, Adrian Griffin, is a candidate for the job. And, you know, due to his positional versatility, that's, why did I just say due to his positional versatility? What? I just, why did I even say that? Nonetheless, forget what I just said due to his personal versatility. Um, Adrian Griffin, you know. He's also a good candidate for this job, knowing that he was a part of that that Raptors run last year, um, as they beat my Golden State Warriors in the championship. We're not going to talk about that. Um, 
<laughs> sad. Um, but you know, either way it goes, uh, either either which one you get, it's a step up from Jim Boylan. Nonetheless, I don't like Jim Boylan, and to be honest with you, I hate Jim Boylan. He's just a horrible coach. Um. But draft workouts are unlikely, like I said, so it's going to be really hard. Um, And a lot of people are saying that some executives and some GMs of teams and possibly a scout should come to Orlando and maybe in the bubble, you know, kind of meeting prospects, potentially. Player workouts leading up to the NBA draft are unlikely due to liability issues. League sources tell Jonathan Giovanni and Mike Schmitz of ESPN. There are preliminary discussions for the possibility of a prospect gathering in Orlando that could include medical testing, player measurements, and interviews. The league's preference is to see how initial weeks in Orlando go before deciding on whether to bring prospects there. Um, and like I said, the 2020 NBA draft is tentatively scheduled for October 15th, um, right around when the season ends, um, or... You know, how these dates have been bouncing around. I'm not really even sure anymore. But, you know, it would be really good if, they, if if the whole Orlando situation goes good enough where they can actually use one of those courts one of those days when a lot of teams aren't playing to, you know, kind of bring in prospects and, you know, measure them, you know, do all this other stuff, medical testing, interviews, maybe a shoot-around, maybe some workouts, some some, some drills. Um trying their best to see what these prospects have. And without that, you know, it's kind of hard for a team to see actually what talent is going into that. You know, you don't want edited videos of players just making every shot, and that's just going to give you that sense like, hey, this player's really good, and then he gets to the – and then you draft him with the name 10th pick, and he ends up being a bum for his whole career. Shout out to Darko Milicic, um, even though he was uh, early – early pick, I think was the third, um, but, you know, you always want to make sure that you're you're making a good pick, you don't want to go into drafts and then make, make a bad pick just based off edited videos, so it's gonna, what they really want to see is them actually being able to come to Orlando, do workouts, and they see it for themselves instead of having to watch it on a video, and, you know, the magic of editing nowadays is crazy. I can tell you myself from just watching YouTube videos and having to sit down and sometimes edit these shows because sometimes I say really crazy things and I yawn and I I sneeze and all this other stuff. The magic of editing is real, most definitely. Um, I actually have to sit down and sit here and edit for a little bit and trim things out um, because I sneeze or I cough. Or I, I like screeching pain because of a backache. You know, just for that, I'm not going to edit this podcast. I'm going to let it be. If I yawn. <laughs> See? See? If you say yawn, you're going to yawn. Um, I'm not going to edit this podcast. If y'all hear a yawn, y'all hear a yawn. I'm going to let it be. <laughs> But we're going to go ahead and get into our last part of the podcast relatively early. Not that I want to, but, you know, it has to happen. I don't have a interview, a person I could interview. I had an NBA player I was trying to interview, but he didn't get back to me in time. So hopefully we can get him next podcast. 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. But we're going to go ahead and get into our 16th prospect here. And the third in his position, um, we have a 6'5", 180-pound guard from Florida State, Devin Vassell. I think that's how you say his name. Hopefully, I am not saying it wrong. I think it's Devin Vassell. Let me just make sure real quick so I ain't butchering his name. It's either Devin Vassell or Devin Vassell. I wish they had it on here where you could, like, click his name, and then it's just like, Devin Vassell. Call it the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shout out to my boy Jaden for that one. All right, I'm kind of looking at a highlight reel right now. Vassell. Okay, okay. So I don't feel I don't I don't feel bad. It was actually Vassell. But we're gonna go ahead and get into his strengths, his pre-draft analysis from me. Um the kid has an an intriguing physical profile, you know, at being around almost six foot seven with a reported seven foot wingspan. I had to dig deep for that number. And the kid has almost a seven foot wingspan at six five. You can see it in his highlights. The kid, he has a pretty big, has a pretty big frame. Um, and as of as of late, he's actually, you know, been a late bloomer physically. Um, he's wiry and agile. Um, he's light on his feet, but he's not the most explosive athlete. But his length allows him to finish above the rim in transition. Um, one thing I can tell you about um, Devin is that you know he's real light on his feet. He can get up the court really quick. Um, he may not be the most explosive player, but with him having that reported seven foot wingspan and him having like being close to around seven foot, uh, six foot seven, I was about to say seven foot seven. What the world, Chris? Um, but with him almost being around six foot seven, um, as recorded, you know, it's not going to be that hard for him to finish above the rim even if he's not the most explosive. Um, like I'm saying, with having such a big frame, you got you got to be such a you got to be at least a solid defender. And that's what I see from Devin. He's a 3, he has 3 and D potential. He's not the he doesn't have the most traditional shooting mechanics, but he did hit 70 I mean, I was about to say 71. See, I'm telling you, I'm dyslexic when I read sometimes. 41.7% from three-pointer on 168 attempts throughout his college career um you know a lot of players are looked at nowadays for not having the best shooting mechanics which should totally you know it's something you should worry about but he's kind of like Lonzo he hit a lot of his three-pointers in college don't want to actually compare him to Lonzo but that's the only person I can think of that doesn't have the most traditional shooting mechanics. Um, and like I said, with the big frame that the kid has, he is disruptive on the defensive end of the floor. And throughout, uh, in his per 40-minute stats, he averaged two steals and one almost one and a half blocks. Um, yeah. Um, 
Um, he has a little more shot creation potential than three and D wings, which is what you really look for. And you know, a guy like Robert Covington isn't a guy that you look at for shot creation. He's a guy that you look for to play defense and just get in the corner and hit a three like PJ Tucker, um, or hit a three from anywhere. But in 2K, he sucks at it. Shout out to King of the Fourth Quarter again. Um, and shout out to King of the Fourth Quarter for, you know, kind of giving me an inspiration on doing a podcast. So shout out to him. Um, but, yeah, he's improving as a ball handler and can play some pick and roll. He's comfortable rising up in mid-range spots off the dribble also. Um Like, I watched a few Florida State games, you know, and they're a real fun team to watch. Um, One just because of Devin Vassell and the other one just because of, I think his name is, I think he, I just talked about him last podcast. It was like Patrick something. Um... Let me make sure I'm getting his name right. I don't want to butcher his name either. Patrick Williams, right? Um, I knew I was. I knew I wasn't getting his name wrong, but yeah, Patrick Williams. Um, I love watching him also. But like I say, for every single prospect, with all good things come some weaknesses or all strengths come some weaknesses um all all good things come with a with a bad thing or some so improvement areas you know his feel for the game is a progress on both ends you know his game moves a little quickly for him at times a lot with a lot more players in this draft um he is an average passer who shows questionable instincts and awareness defensively um you know, that's where he could try to get better this offseason. And he can also be very proud. He he can also be very foul prone. That's one thing I did see, you know. He does have a lot of, of fouling problems when it comes to, you know, trying to play basketball. You got you to be better on the defensive end and have those instincts and awareness defensively to not foul so much. Um... um some questions that I have is like, how much stronger can he get? Can he defend the NBA's premier wings, or he's just better off checking a guard? Um, you know what his six five to uh, six seven, you know, height as what I've seen recorded on. Uh, I've seen six five, six six, and six seven. So that's why I just said six five and six seven all together because I saw six five and six seven the most. I only saw six foot six a few times, but you know. He's going to have problems defending wings, so better off, I think it's just better for him to be, you know, a tall guard, kind of like a Clay who's 6'6", who would generally be a, a small forward. And he also does run some small forward every now and then, so, hey. Um, he's more fluid and agile than explosive, which isn't a bad thing. You know, I just think that explosiveness is something that could be worked on, you know, but I, I'd say it's better off being more fluid and agile than crazily explosive, um, a lot of his shot creation possessions and the contested mid-range jumpers, I, I see that a lot in uh in his highlights. He's not the, you know, he's not the best shot creator, but at least he's trying to do something. Um, 
He doesn't get all the way to the rim or to the free throw line often. He's comfortable making basic reads, but not an advanced passer. Also, something else you can work on, you know. You don't have to be the best playmaker at the shooting guard position, but you at least have to have some sense of playmaking. Um, how will his three ball translate to the NBA? Is he much? Uh, he he was much better from the corners above the break in college. Career seventy two uh, percent free throw shooter. Um, yeah, he was way better. Like I said, three and D guys are looked at to hit the three and go to the corner and shoot a three. Well, I said hit the three, play D, and then go to the corner and hit a three. Um, and that's exactly what he was good at in college. So I think it should translate. I think it should translate great over into the NBA with him being, you know, the perfect guy for this kind of like the perfect guy for today's NBA, a three and D guy, and that's what everybody looks for. So I think Devin Vassell will actually his game will translate over into the NBA perfectly fine. Um, and the projected role that I have for him is to be a 3 and D wing. Um, exactly the role that I have for him. I think that's exactly the role he will have when he gets into the NBA. So, um, after that, we are going to go ahead and get into our next prospect. And that is going to be a six foot five, 174 pound guard. From France, and that is Theo Maladon, who I am very high on. Um, let's get into some of the good parts of Theo's game. Um, he has excellent size for a point guard at six foot five. Has a good frame and a long wingspan, which will allow him to defend point guard, shooting guards, and potentially even small forwards. Um. That's one thing I really saw from, you know, Theo with him having such a big frame. It's going to be easier for him to defend all three of those positions. Um, a lot of guards would not be able to do what Theo, Theo will be able to do because I plan on Theo becoming a really solid player and a really good, you know, asset for the NBA in the near coming future. Um, that's why I speak highly on Theo. I, I love Theo's game, man. Um, he's a career 36% free throw shooter and a 79% th uh, free throw shooter. Has clean, compact shooting mechanics and is capable both with his feet set and off the dribble. Even if he's even if he's been consistent, you know. I do see inconsistency within his game, um, you know, kind of with his shooting mechanics and his dribbling. But, you know, he's still capable at times. You know, sometimes you have your ups and sometimes you have your downs and you know, that's what Theo's, Theo's games represents. You know, some games he's not the best dribbler and can't shoot the greatest in some games, but when he's hot, he's hot. And, you know, every single NBA player has those nights. So, hey, he's an efficient player who keeps mistakes to a minimum and plays with impressive poise. Arguably the most experienced player in the draft in terms of minutes he's received against quality competition. He draws rave reviews for his work, et work ethic and approach to the game. Most definitely, that's why uh, I fell in love with Theo Melodon as a prospect. Watching his highlights back in 2017 when he, uh, when I first heard people talking about him, the same thing I did with Luca back in like 20, 2014, 2015 when he was becoming a big name. Um, you know, I saw that 
he was a person that always kept mistakes to a minimum. If he had made a mistake, he would just put it behind him and, you know, go down on the defensive end and try to make a play. And that's what you love to see from a player. Um, and he has impressive poise nonetheless. Um, and him being the most experienced player, I think, you know, I think that's a really good a really good part on him because, you know, not many players, you know, what what happened this year, you know, a lot of players don't have a lot of college experience. Um, so, unless you're like a, a two-year athlete or a three-year athlete, but these freshmen do not have that much experience. So, I think Theo kind of, you know, has the upper hand on the majority of the prospects here. But like I said, with all good things come some bad things. With all strengths come from come some weaknesses. So, um, we're gonna get into some of the room, some of the um, areas that he can improve in. Um, he did not play a huge role for ASVEL as one of the three point guards on the roster. He started some games but only averaged 17 minutes per game. He often operates alongside a lead guard in more of a spot-up role. Wasn't too efficient this season, posting a high turnover rate and average shooting percentages. Like I said, you know, he has his off days. But, you know, this 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 most recent season wasn't the greatest for him. Um, and a lot of times what I see is that Theo is majority of the time playing the shooting guard because – He's not the best. He's not the best ball handler. He's he's looked at more as a secondary creator. Um, he does lack a level of aggressiveness, which I have seen. He isn't that you know gritty guy who is going to you know get down there on the defensive end and go and go brazy. Um, he is just the average athlete in terms of pure speed and shiftiness. You know he's not the most you know speedy guard. Um. He looks too focused at times on minimizing mistakes. He he wants to be the cleanest he can possibly be, which is a good thing. But sometimes you can't let your individual, you know, you can't let individual things be the fate of your team. Um, and I think that's what, you know, he was, he was too focused on trying his best to make his stats look better and things like that. Um, he will likely be the best suited operating alongside a, a scoring guard. Like I said, he is a secondary creator who can shoulder the bulk of shot creation responsibilities, at least early in his career. You know, he can gain some shot creating abilities over time, but as of now, a team is probably going to be looking for him to be that secondary guy, that shooting guard, or a guy that he can play with that's a shooting guard that can create. Um... You know, over his career in France, he was a 48% two-point shooter, partially due to the lack of his strength, um, and but also abs- absolutely because of his lack of explosiveness, explosiveness and methodical style of play. He relies heavy on craft and touch shots and gets caught up on screens and struggles with physicality of handling switches. Most definitely. Um, you know, that is something that, he struggles with, and that's something he can also work on. He can also, you know, like work on his strength this off season. You know, start lifting weights. You know, get in, get in the gym. You know, just work out. Try your best to get more explosive. Get on a Vertimax. Um, and you know, just just connect with those those older guys in France. Trying your best to you know become methodical with what you do on the court, and you know that that could that could translate over into the NBA. Fine. 
Um, but my projected role for Theo is he's going to be a secondary creator and a three and D guard. Um, you know, he just has to. He's very patchy at times. You know, he has his good games and his bad games. But you know, if he can, you know, stay consistent, he'll be a solid player in the NBA. But my next guy here, he went to Villanova. He's the 18th projected prospect on my board, and at the third at his position, which is small forward, um, Sadiq Bay, a six-eight, two 216-pound player from Villanova, Sadiq Bay. Um, let's get into some of his strengths. He's a versatile player with a solid physical profile at six foot seven, two hundred and sixteen pounds. But like I said, he's being projected at six point eight now. I said six point eight, six foot eight, with a six foot eleven wingspan. One of the more effective combo forwards in college basketball. Late bloomer who improved every season at Villanova. Um, I think he is a junior at Villanova, if I'm not wrong. Let me make sure. I don't want to get that wrong. Sadiq Bay. Um. Okay, so I think he is a junior at Villanova. Yup, is what I'm seeing. So, yeah, he's a three-year college athlete. Um. So, but every season he's improved. So that's what you what you really want to see as a player improving. He is very competitive. I mean, this kid is very competitive. Has the ability to defend multiple positions in a pinch. Makes winning plays. Um, good offensive rebounder and has been a, both a role player and a feature starter. Likely NBA contributor from day one. I can tell you which which what is really crazy. The Villanova, it, they they produce some of the most. Incredible athletes in the NBA right now. Omari Spellman is a guy who can, who can you know can give you that spark on the offensive and the defensive end. Eric Pascal, what he's doing for the Warriors this season has been crazy. Got picked very late in the second round and has came in and been a been a big part for us. Jalen Brunson, another guy who's fantastic and has been a really big part for the Mavs this year. And it's crazy how much you know. These Villanova players have came into the league and, and made a huge impact. Ryan Archie Diacono, in, in, in one of my friend's sim leagues, he was on the defensive team. So Villanova is always, you know, producing great athletes um, and just great competitors, great, you know, great players who make winning plays. Um, and that's one thing Sadiq does. He makes winning plays. Um, he's a good offensive rebounder. Um and yeah, likely contributed from day one, no doubt. He shot 45.1% from three on 6.7 attempts per game. At, oh, wait. Am I wrong? Oh, okay, 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 okay. So I think he's actually a sophomore. I know he's either a sophomore or junior. He's a sophomore, sophomore. My bad. He's actually a sophomore. Um, I wrote down sophomore, but I thought it was junior. I don't know why. Um, he did shoot 45.1% on 6.7 attempts from three as a sophomore. He can handle and pick and roll, function as a screener, or play out of the post. He has a solid feel for the game and has played some point guard for stretches, which is a really good, you know, 
which is a really good quality for a guy at that height. You know, being able to play point guard and be able to, you know, to handle pick and roll and you being six foot eight and looked at to do certain things on offense and you can actually do you can actually play make and do all these other things. Yeah, he has a solid feel for the game with just being a sophomore in college. So that's what you really like to see from a guy like that. But like I said, with all strengths come some weaknesses. Um and what I can say is that Sadiq does not have a lot of weaknesses. He doesn't have a lot of holes in his game. Um, you know, he's not the greatest athlete given his dimensions, and he doesn't always finish above the rim in traffic. Um, that is one thing he does. He does. He does struggle with is sometimes being able to finish above the rim. But you know, that's the least of his worries. With that being one of the only problems in his game, low steal and block rates relative to his size and length. Basically, I think a lot of the weaknesses that I've like just seen within his game are just a problem with him, you know, not playing to the fullest potential at times, the way that he's built. But, you know, he is a career 73% free throw shooter. Um, You know, he does a little bit of everything. And my one question was like, but what's that one elite skill that he has? And that's what I failed to figure out. Like, what is the one elite strength that Sadiq has? Um... You know, he's a phenomenal player, but you got to at least have one elite, I mean elite skill to be a part of the NBA. But, hey, nonetheless, the kid is, is all around solid, solid, I was about to say solid prayer, a solid player. Or I was about to say solid prospect. Nonetheless, he's a solid player and a solid prospect. So that's what you really like to see from, from young guys. Um, For our 19th guy here. Um, who I am a huge fan of because he goes to my University of Arizona, Nico Mannion, a 6'3", 190-pound guard from Arizona. Um, his strength is that he offers a healthy blend of scoring and playmaking as the lead at the lead guard spot. I can tell you that kid is a phenomenal playmaker. He can score. You know, in that big game against Oregon, he came up clutch. But, you know, Josh Green did miss. We're not going to talk about that. Um, He has the potential as a three-level scorer with his ability to make shots off the dribble with range, change speeds and directions, pull up in mid-range spots, and finish with floaters. Struggled at the rim in the half court, but can drop in floaters from different uh, from different angles. Yeah, he's, he's a phenomenal he's – got, he's got phenomenal touch at the – at the point guard position, Nico is a, is a hell of a point guard. You know, he looks up to guys like Chris Paul, you know, the shorter guards, Isaiah Thomas, things like that. You know, he looks at them and looking at their touching and stuff. So that's pretty good from him. Um, he can make virtually every read necessary to run a team. Gets trigger happy from time to time, but overall understands when to get his own and when to facilitate. One thing I can tell you about Nico is that he's going to make sure his teammates got it first. But when he wants to go off, he's going to go off. I can see in some games, Nico's like, I'm taking over. His teammates weren't doing too much. Literally on that team, I can say the only two people that truly are actually really, 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 really good to me are, are Zeke Naji and Nico Mannion. They, they play their hearts out every game. Josh Green is very patchy. Um, but like I said, the kid's a hell of a playmaker. He looks up to guys like Rondo and Chris Paul for playmaking. So I heard a lot about that in high school. Um, he's got an even kill demeanor and a strong feel for the game. He can function off the ball next to bigger guards thanks to his ability to spot shoot. 
Yeah, he, he doesn't even sometimes he doesn't even need to be the lead facilitator for a team. On a team, Nico knows his role, and that's a player that you I mean, that's a player that any team wants. The player that knows his role. Many players nowadays in today's NBA are looking to take over the game. You know, Trey Young is looked at as the lead scorer for his team, but everybody else on that, that team knows their role. But Nico can just he can play his role for any team. So that's what that's what you like to see from Nico. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what team picks him up. Um but like I said, some strengths with strengths come weaknesses. And you know, improvement areas I have for Nico. Um, you know, nothing. He's not the craziest physically. Um, and his wingspan is actually one of the first time I've seen this. He actually has a wingspan that you know doesn't fit his height. He has a a six foot two point five wingspan. He is a solid leaper, but you know. His 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 lack of a reach limits him at at the rim. Um, he doesn't get to the free throw line consistently consistently, but his lack of tools limits him on the defensive end. You know him not having the greatest wingspan defense is going to be relatively hard because you know it's you know you got to come off screens, you got to keep your arms out, trying your best to defend, and you know his arms are pretty short. But that's not for me to say. Um, he doesn't have many ways to create separation off the dribble. Um, he could stand to add more dynamic combo moves and get to his jumper more quickly. I mean, he needs to become a knockdown shooter given some of the physical limitations. He shot just 32.7% from three on the season. Has touched but is a little streaky. Confidence came and went from three. Um, that's one thing I can say. Nico's confidence did kind of get to him at times. He when he did when he saw he wasn't doing good, he just tried his best to get the ball to his team, um, which isn't a bad thing. But sometimes when you just gotta put, you know, if you miss two shots in the game and you think that's gonna hurt, but I I'd take ten more. I'm sorry, the team would have to be mad at me, but if I'm open, I'm taking a shot because I gotta have the confidence to make that shot, regardless. And that's sometimes I've seen that's what Nico struggled with. Um, and one thing I can also say, he's not the greatest shot creator. He has some ways to create off the dribble. But nonetheless, some of those ways will be be looked at and studied by NBA players, and they'll lock it down greatly. You know how good NBA players with uh, NBA players are like that. So, but um, my projected role for him um, is a skill based point guard. Um, you know, he's got all the skills to be a great point guard. He just has to, you know, get a bigger frame and try his best. To, you know, become great on the defensive end and not be so inconsistent. Um, and the last guy here um is a guy that um I'm not really gonna um I'm I'm not really, you know, that entitled to, but he is the twentieth on my list in front of a few athletes based on things that he did do. Um I have the six foot six, two hundred and ten pound shooting guard from Arizona, or small four, whatever you look at him as. Um He's my 20th overall ranked player out of Arizona, Josh Green. Um, he doesn't have an ideal physical profile for an off-guard wing um, with a great frame, long arms, and impressive open court running jump athleticism, good straight line speed running the floor, finishes above the rim on one or two feet with ease at his best in transition. That's the only thing I can really say about him. To be truly honest, he is a solid defender, and he does. He has improved from high school with his parameter shooting and decision-making. But, you know, 
he does have great intangibles for the game. I can't lie about that. But the only thing that I can really give him is that he's had, he has a solid amount of speed, and he's a, that he's a great finisher at the rim. Nonetheless, um, you know, he he can he could play uh just about one through three, not like with the ball, but playing defense against him. Will stick his nose in on. He will try his best to get rebounds. Um, but like I said, with some strengths come some weaknesses. Um, he is good in a lot of areas. Um, but doesn't quite have an elite skill on the offensive end. True that. He's not the most dynamic perimeter shooter. Um, not an advanced ball handler or passer. His still is good, but not great. What does he give you offensively if he's not making shots? The same thing that I was saying. Uh, I watched that Oregon game. Um, I've watched it back a few times since then. Um, since he missed that shot to win us the game, but he lost us the game. I don't know why I said win us the game, but. <sighs> that was sad. Why did I have to think about that? But you know, he does, he lacks a lot on the uh, on the offensive end when he's not making shots. He doesn't move around well. Um, he's just a guy that we look at to make spot up shots every now and then. That we did look, but now he's going to to the draft. Um, he is explosive, but finishing finesse is still improving. He can drop in occasional floaters, but not very right hand dominant. Um, much better shooter with his feet set than off the dribble. Um, I can say that he he is a solid finisher at the rim, um, but you know he's very right hand dominant, which is which is the thing that you don't want NBA players to know. Because um, you know they'll take advantage of that right side and they'll try to make you go left and then see that that's your your weakness, and then you're just not a valuable player to a team now because you literally only use your right side. Um, he's not a great off the ball shooter, like I just said. You know, he's way better with his feet set, like a lot of guards in today's NBA. And he doesn't always have that next play mentality. Um, and my projected role for him in the NBA is a three and D wing, just like a few more players that I've talked about as of recently. But man, it has been a great, and I mean great podcast. Even though I did not have an interview this time. You know, hopefully we can get that NBA player that I was talking about next time. Um, but I just want y'all to know, thank thank y'all so much for the support, man. It, it really means a lot. I've even got talked. Uh, I've even got in touch with a few people, you know, at radio stations, and they really like my podcast. So we're gonna see how that goes, man. But you know, I'm really grateful for all the support that I've been receiving, and it really means a lot, y'all. But I will catch y'all next time. Um, on Chris's Big Ball Review. Peace out, man. Black lives matter and all lives can't matter until blacks are included. I love every single one of y'all. I stand with y'all. And it's been a, it's been a great podcast. Chris's Big Ball Review. And I will see y'all next time. Peace out.